How's it going, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. On this episode, a group of us from our muzzleloader drives are going to be breaking down the hunts that we had this season and some of the things that we learned, some of the things that we did different than past years, and just adjustments that we want to continue to make. This was our fifth season doing this hunt, and we've learned so much since the beginning of it, and every year it's just a really good time to get together with a bunch of friends and try a different strategy that we don't get to utilize very often throughout the season. I think that there's a lot of things that can be used that we learn as a group that you can use by yourself when you're hunting in similar habitat and terrain types. This is big woods hunting. It's just deep dark timber that deer like to hide in and there's a lot of challenges that come along with that. But one really good way to learn a lot about it is cover a bunch of ground with friends. So that's what we're gonna be talking about in this episode. Coming up here, we're gonna be at the NWTF convention in Nashville. So if you guys would like to stop by and say hi, we'll be there. Really looking forward to that. That's something that I did for the first time last year. Had a blast. So look forward to talking to everybody that comes by and says hello. We'll also have merchandise there. And if you're interested in merchandise and can't make it to the show, you can check out our website, thehuntingpublic.com. We've got tons of casual wear designs, hats, t-shirts, hoodies, but we've also got a lot of hunting gear. Hayden's really ramped up what we have to offer. I just think it's really cool that we've got a bunch of things that we actually wear when we're out in the field. So if you guys have any interest in that, you can check the description of this podcast or just Google the hunting public and our website should pop right up. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoy it. Muzzleloader season over, I guess. Here, once we're done with this podcast, it'll become more official, I think. But this is an That's annual post-hunt breakdown here. The tears won't start flowing until after this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have some veterans of the hunt here, guys that have been there for, I guess, the first to the most recent. And then we got a couple new guys. We also had an additional, what, 15 people between hunters and cameramen. Mm-hmm. About the same size group as last year say the last two years have been our biggest group and that's kind of the sweet spot it seems like having about eight to nine guns and then people filming them we, you know in future years we may have you know one or two more people carrying guns but kind of felt like the group size was about perfect this year but I guess the first thing that I would ask is to the guys that have never been here before what are some of the things that are different about this hunt than other ones and there's some obvious differences like the group aspect and like having so many people hunting and filming you know having such a big group is unique but like i guess aside from that like what are some of the things that jump out to you as cool and fun and different i thought it was interesting how much timing has has a play in the drive like how if timing's off at at any point then one is slipping through mm-hmm. but if everything times right then you just end up like pinballing one in this one one little draw and, yeah. and maybe we maybe he takes a shot and he misses but or maybe you get him but right. that's i thought that was a really cool thing and then just the the overall camp aspect was was really fun mm-hmm. yeah i mean to add to that i feel like just that like that planning and just execution like always scratches an itch for me like super fun to just be like all right like we're looking at this map 
here's your plan, but you know we're all in it together. And then just that coordination is like super fun. Like, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't say that I've done a lot of that in hunting. It's usually like one or two people, and you know your plan, and you're just doing that, and you adjust. And like, it's almost nice to not have to make as many adjustments. Like you're just like, well, I'm part of this machine. Like I have to do this thing. Maybe this thing like deer slipped through the cracks or whatever, but I'm not just going to go chase it. It's kind of like nice to not have to worry about that. I don't Mm -hmm. even have to make adjustments. We're doing the plan because that's what's going to work for everybody. I like that. Mm -hmm. I thought that was cool. And there's this like motivation to like, yeah, I have to fulfill this role because other people are counting on me too. Mm. Like, like as opposed to if you were just hunting by yourself or, totally. or mm. even yeah. just with a pair of people. Right. It's, you feel way more part of a team. For mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, it's team hunting, the definition of team hunting. Yeah. It's yeah, so you- nice if you don't see something or like you just kind of, yeah, you just end up walking through the woods and it's not that fun. Like you get to hear like something cool later yeah. instead of just being like, oh yeah, that was kind of a bummer. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, something probably happened yeah. and you know that. And that's like, I feel like I was like at that, like, ooh, something could happen at any moment the whole time because I knew something was happening for somebody. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. it's not me, but like something's moving in here There's, every time. When you walk all the way up there and you're at the top and then the t- drive time starts, and then it's like 15, 20 minutes later and you're like still waiting. You're like, maybe somebody was late. So there still could be a deer come through here. And then all of a sudden you just see like orange, orange, orange. And you're like, dang, I didn't see anything. But then you get down to the bottom and they're like, for example, like a shot goes off and you didn't even hear yeah. it. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> right. Wait, you got one? Yeah, you got one. You're you're already know. on the ground? Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Oh, I didn't even think that anybody was here. <laughs> So, like, that's a really cool aspect of it because you're, like, no, necessarily. You're not sad. You're, like, dang, I didn't see anything. And then it's, like, wait, you had a totally different experience 200 yards away. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, there's a funny part of it to me where when you're meeting back up, even if you have this feel in your gut that nothing happened, there's always that chance as you're walking up to people and you're looking at their face and you're trying to be like, are they going to say something cool? Or <laughs> what, what, what vibe am I getting here? Mm-hmm. Because there's always the chance that you saw nothing. The first two other groups you talked to saw nothing. But then on the complete other side of the drive, somebody had one slip through the cracks. Like a couple that come to mind from past years would be the one on the last day two years ago. Mm-hmm. When Ben and I got to you, I did not believe you at all that a bucket just ran past you guys. Like I didn't believe it because I didn't hear a shot. I didn't hear it. I mean, I guess we did. Did uh, I, I, we heard a shot? But it was somebody unloading their gun because it was the last day, <laughs> and we were just like, "Ah, oh, that's what's going on." Like, there's no way one ran through, and Colin's just like, "Big buck right through here." And I feel like that's fun because even when something, or even if we don't get a shot you're always thinking that we're going to learn something. And I think that's what's really fun because there's definitely times where you make a walkthrough and your route leads you to nothing that you get done with it. And you're like, did I even really learn anything? It's like, yeah, that just kind of sucked, man. There's no sign in there. But then just on the other side of the ridge, somebody's like, oh, dude, it's loaded over there. Mm-hmm. And that's what's fun about doing new places too and something that we like to challenge ourselves with is checking new areas out that way our experience continues to grow, not just with ones we've done in the past and been successful with, but trying something new because that helps you have a better picture for the next one. Or if you need to adjust, 
you know, this, this is all public land. So there's always that chance that people are there or people start hunting an area that you've had success in, in the past. And you have to just scratch that area. If we, if we got too attached to one place, we wouldn't get as much learning experience. And because you have so many teammates, you get to learn a lot. Do you have anything to add to that? I was just, I don't know. I was thinking of an example yesterday when you shot the one and Colin and I moved up through and we like felt like we executed it was like we have our spot covered and you feel confident in that and then like we saw our my dad come down he was one of the drivers and it was like everything seemed like it worked out and it was confident we were confident we did everything right but it was like well it didn't we didn't even hear the shot (laughs) or see any deer and it was like well we covered everything but it just didn't work out and we meet up with everyone that has no idea that anything happened. And then we hear you guys coyote howl. And it's like, yeah, we just got one. It was like <laughs> that, that same example of like, we feel like we executed it well, but on one side of things, we didn't know anything happened. And then something still happened within the same drive. Yeah. And, and I guess I don't think for those listening or watching, the scale of it isn't so big that we can't hear it. Yesterday was unique conditions where it was pouring rain. And it was the last day, so we forced it regardless of, you know, status of cameras. We were <laughs> kind of willing to burn some cameras out there. That's what I felt like. But <laughs> we definitely risked it, but I don't thanks, think anything's Roy. fried yet. Yeah, thanks, Roy. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think it's interesting how obviously every little ridge system and everything is so nuanced and, like, so unique that when you each time you go to a new spot, when you have – 18 sets of eyes not nine different groups of people around one ridge you can you learn like you were saying earlier so much about how if one side colin and i were going up one side of the ridge and we saw like a trail and like an old scrape and it was like oh, it didn't seem very good but then within that same ridge system on one other side everyone else is seeing where the sign is and you just learn about those unique aspects of each separate drive each separate ridge another part of it to that point is I think it helps you for solo hunting as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It absolutely helps me because yeah. a lot of times we'll pick a location that we're going to drive, you know, the potential bedding area to. There's a terrain feature that we want to drive it to. And it either will work or it won't. But either way, you get to see how deer escape, and therefore you get to see how deer are going to naturally move through an area as well. Mm-hmm. That's something that I take away from it every time, and I've certainly applied to hunts all over the country just based off of what we've learned on drives and how deer leave certain areas and, and it's the, and the features they use the most often for bedding like even even does and stuff like you within the first couple of years i learned a lot about just the patterns of where to expect to see does even it's just like super consistent within each drive and you start to see those same patterns in different spots and you learn that for like you said for solo hunting and you can go back into areas and feel confident of like okay this is where i expect to see deer because i've seen them countless times 15 Mm. drives in a year and you see that same pattern and then it just helps you for your future for solo hunts yeah and it's not even the specific spot that you mean it's the feature yeah i think that's a big part Mm -hmm. of it where it's not necessarily like, oh, we drove this last winter. I'm going to go back and bow hunt that exact spot because I saw, you know, a buck come off that ridge. It's more, we saw a buck come off that ridge. Let me look at a map, even if it's in a different county or state even. That's the type of feature I like to look for. Or this one. I've seen them come off this and this. Or this and this 
and then they escape through this. And I, I've definitely learned so much about that that I had no, I had not even a clue about when we first started. Mm-hmm. I, I used to think like, oh, this is going to be easy. I mean, we've talked about that. If, if you've ever watched any of the old videos or listened to any of the old podcasts, you've heard us talk about how we didn't know anything. And I think that's something too for new, newer guys in the group, even guys that were, have been here for now two years They've only experienced when we've cleaned things up. But the first two years was a bunch of slop play that we didn't even know we were doing. We didn't know we were setting ourselves up for failure, but we were. And now we realize some of the mistakes. And I feel like that's kind of a good transition into some of those things. Like Colin, for example. What are some of the things that you look at now that we did on the first year where you're like, I can't believe we did that? The big one is always comes back to scale. Mm-hmm. Like we were so big and it's like, oh, we have to push both of these ridges at the same time and like, you know, maximize the coverage we get of like when we're bumping deer and it's like, well, there's five, there's now five giant holes in this drive because you just got people like scattered way too far apart <laughs> where now it's like this ridge, this is the only ridge we're going to bump. There's potentially two bedding areas, maybe three bedding areas into this. And we're going to cover every single escape route and we're not going to worry about everything else. Like we can do that on another drive, Mm -hmm. but what we want to do right now is there might be one deer up here and that's the deer we're going to hunt. Like that's huge. That's why we're killing deer. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, and we really like this year, I've said it a couple of times, lower numbers of drives, higher quality. Like we just kind of nailed it down to where we had a lot of like solid opportunities, whether we killed or we didn't, they were there. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a big one. It's like not, to, not a lot of messing around. Yeah. Yeah. I think to your point of scale too, is like we were trying to, in those first couple of years, trying to like do that scale within the drive. But now we kind of all are accessing from different areas to get to that one drive. Mm-hmm. So we're taking that huge scale. Like, that's how Logan shot the buck this year. Zach shot a buck yesterday that was just like that, where it's not even part of the real drive, but we're, the way we're going in, we're not just, like, walking as a train to get into one spot. Right. We're coming in from different areas. Yeah. and you're Taking hunt, hunt escape your routes in, in yes. so that yep. you're, like, running into deer as you're from yeah. both sides. Like, you, last year you explained that. It's like you th- you're throwing a net on it. And then you're just a cast closing net. in. Yeah. Sure. Yep. It's it's a yeah. really great example. And then it. getting to that staging area and really like yeah. the timing We're, all kind of coming together. Yeah. The, the first couple of years we was just like, here's our drive. Here's here's the the ridge we're driving, and then like four group or you know four guys are just walking like this and then just splitting. But like we didn't even hit this point coming in. Mm. But now I think we try to if we can incorporate all those different escape routes coming in. It helps a lot. Yep. And access has been a big part of that as well, where if we can go in from the truck at different spots and continue to close in, there's still some examples where we have to loop around and do a little bit of train walking, if you will, or like, you know, we're not, and at those points too, we're not even like hunting. Maybe the lead guy that that's up front, he's out ahead of everybody and has a primer in, but everybody else is just like literally not even loaded for safety reasons. Mm-hmm. And if we can avoid that 
walking into the train like that, it seems to really help. There's some drives that we've had good success with where we do a little bit of that. Like, for example, where Logan got the one. That's one where we do a little bit of train walking. Mm-hmm. But even on that one, we've even this year, I feel like we got better because had we done it the way we've done it in the past, I don't think that that would have happened. Yeah, it would have slipped through. Colin and I took a different route than anybody's ever taken to that specific spot, and that buck would have not went into the core part of the drive. Mm-hmm. And because we did that, the buck went right to those guys. Yeah, and even if it, even if I wouldn't have got that shot off, that deer was going to go further in. Probably to the next people. Yeah, yeah, if I wouldn't have shot, we could have just easily slipped behind them, and they would have gone right down where we wanted, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that was, like, textbook, really. Something that I enjoy <laughs> about this is it allows you to be the most aggressive version of a hunter that you can possibly be. And if you fail, like thinking of it as an individual hunt, if Keith and I are working up a ridge, for example, and we're expecting to see deer up on the high point, if we spook the deer before we get a shot opportunity, then we don't fail. We're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. But if we do get him, we also don't fail, obviously. That's, you know, that's, you get the buck down. So it's, it's, it allows you to mess up and still have a chance. But also, if you're not paying attention to the timing, you may mess up and then mess up bad because you weren't paying attention to the timing, which we all still, you're never going to nail that perfectly on everyone. I know there's ones that I look back on, I'm like, eh, I could have done this a little bit more aggressive or waited a little bit more here. That's always going to happen, but as we get more experience doing it, we're all getting a better big picture of how to do it. And one that I think is a really cool one um, that happened this year as far as timing and, some, and something that I'm like proud of, Jake and, and our dad for doing, is closing the gap exactly at the right time. That allowed them to get an opportunity. It wasn't, it wasn't their best opportunity that they had necessarily or anyone had, but what had happened was... I guess, Ben, start that quick story right there, because I feel like this is a really good example of timing and just everybody collapsing. It's, it's kind of where we solidified the theory of the cast net, if you will. Yeah, and I think I have another point on timing I want to bring up about okay. this hunt, too, afterwards. But So Roy and I got up to you know kind of our staging spot to mm-hmm. where we knew we could break up into the drive within a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what everybody had was like a staging spot or going or in area. from different ex- directions yeah. too. Yeah, where you can, you know, still be there and hunting and then know that you can get up into that drive within like two minutes and just pop over that ridge and start, in a sense, start the drive. Yeah, and when we say get into the drive, we're, we're saying it, expose yourself to potential deer bedding. Mm-hmm. Like bef- when we're staging, we're staging in an escape route and then once we go into the drive, everybody's collapsing and potentially exposing themselves to bedded deer or feeding deer in a way that gets the drive started mm-hmm. to paint that picture. So, so yeah, that. so our, you know, staging spot was this long, this long ridge that was in between two clear cuts. And so dad, dad and whoever was filming him was coming from our north. And then we had Hayden and then Shane's groups both to our south. So Roy and I got up on this ridge and we were like, well, we can see a lot. This is where a deer would travel traverse this whole ridge system 
is right through here. They kind of have to go through here, and it's a pretty good spot to hang out and watch until we at least see Hayden or we know where we can get up over that ridge and start our start time. So this was like probably 15, 20 minutes before the drive. We look over and we saw some does on the edge of the clear cut looking concerned. <laughs> I don't know if, you know, looking back, it probably was because they came around the point and Shane had bumped them off the high point where they were betting. And then we were watching them for a bit and I was like, oh, there's another one. And Roy's like, that's a buck. And I'm like, nah, I don't think. I think that's just another doe. He was like, "No, you're go you're gonna want to get ready. That's a buck." <laughs> that's my like favorite at, part. <laughs> looking at totally the wrong, you know, logging road, and here this buck is just hauling it, coming from Hayden. And it's, it, I mean, we were seriously talking. We're like, "Well, if one works that road, it's just gonna be a freaking shooting gallery yeah. out here." Yeah, you were trying shot. to get a range, but couldn't do it. It was snowing so hard. Yeah, we were trying to range that road, and it was just like, mm. you know. 200 to well, 150. Good. That's but, cool that you, it's cool that you guys were thinking of that. Yeah. Because that definitely makes an, a difference at that distance with the muzzleloader. Yeah, and it, we couldn't. It, it was either I wasn't hitting anything or it was the snow was interfering. Because I could hit a tree at like 70, but there's no trees in a clear cut. So, mm -hmm. and the road, yeah. You we couldn't sat, register the dirt necessarily. Yeah, we far. sat there for forever and couldn't get it to work. And it was blowing snow. It was. You know, it's kind of scenic, honestly. It's one of our more scenic moments in the whole four days. <laughs> but, yeah, this buck came in. So I'm, I'm tracking him as he's hauling it away from Hayden, and then he slowed down and finally came to a stop. And I did as best as I could to rest and shot and felt good about it. And Roy's just like, no. You didn't get, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't that get him. That wasn't it. <laughs> so I scrambled to reload, but he, you know, which is why we were in these staging spots. He ran right up into the – in between everybody else. And we'd called this pinball drive last year, and mm -hmm. he ran right into the pinball machine again. Mm -hmm. So as soon as we shot, we just – once he was out of sight, we just took took off and ran up to the top of the hill to try and to continue, continue to, to box. push him in, yeah. yeah. And then I looked over at Dad, and I kind of waved. I'm not sure if they did or not, but just, you know, get in there to your spot so that we can keep this deer into the Yeah, and even Logan machine. and I didn't do much – but we moved tighter to where we could see a little bit more and hopefully just block off more potential escapes. Mm -hmm. But he didn't come our way. And I think this is what's cool because when we went back and watched the footage, it's definitely the same buck. The deer went all the way through our target drive area, like the middle of it, and ended up going into a different bedding area that was in a route that Keith and John were going to go through. And again, going back to that, like, collapsing in incorporating more as many bedding areas to get to that one because he went from one bedding area to another that we had pinned and we had people going through john and keith then about what had 20 minutes later probably mm -hmm. yeah it probably was bumped him again but there was like these little micro timing discussions that happened where it was like as soon as those guys are going to go through that bedding area. Dad and Jake are going to cut down to the funnel that the buck might run through. And darn it if that didn't just happen. I mean, he went from you, he went from Shane to Hayden, and we'll leave that uh, maybe a bit of a mystery <laughs> as to what happened until we make the video <laughs> of what happened there because y'all are going to want to watch that if this comes out before. And then Ben, you know, saw the buck, shot, kept the deer moving put him right into another bedding area and then we double bumped him again well i guess at this point that's what triple bump yeah 
triple bump and he's going right back down through and and Doug said he had been opportunity. He had been sitting there for like 20 seconds or something. They like, they had just sat down and that thing came right off the point. Yeah. And I think that when you nail those little micro timing things, it's like, you're always doing a big team drive, but then you're also doing these little one man drives and almost stepping forward. Like when the guy on, if I, if we're all here in a drive and it's like, this guy is on my left, this guy's on my right. I'm trying to visualize, okay, he's getting to a certain point. I, I guess let's, let's, let me rewind here. This year I felt like something that helped me wrap my head around the discussion is you have this amount of time before the, the start time, and that's constantly going down like the sand in the hourglass, right? Mm-hmm. It's constantly getting lower and lower. So as that time's going lower and lower, you're visualizing every position on the map and thinking, where are they at and where will they be when they bump deer? And if you're doing that, it makes it a lot easier to think, well, where could I be if they bump that deer to mm-hmm. catch that? At least see it mm-hmm. or bump it back into the group. And I feel like when that's happening, and it always looks a little different. You know, some people are working really fast. Some guys don't have that far to go. So they're just really taking their time until the very end. But all that timing just really um, is probably the number one thing, mm-hmm. probably the number one important thing. Yeah. I want to hear what you had to say about that. You made a point yesterday after you shot that buck that I thought was a really good point and a good, good way to describe how to do this. It's like you have that 45 minutes, let's say. You may have a half mile to go, but instead of just like, and it's kind of what you were saying right there, but instead of just still hunt that whole 45 minutes and then get to that spot, like you might bust it for like five minutes to get to where, you know, you need to stand Mm -hmm. for, you know, for where the guys around you are working through and then bust it again to get to another spot and stand. Like don't dilly dally in, in a side hill where you're not gaining anything that you're any, any, you know, visual advantage, Mm -hmm. like get up to that point where you can see a lot around you and you can see those escape routes instead of being stuck you know even if you're gonna like take a layer off or something like just be up in that right you know logan had the exact thing happen yeah i mean that's what you're describing like i feel like what was happening Mm -hmm. for us in that moment it's like had you done that 10 10 yards below the hill you wouldn't have got that shot Mm -hmm. you did it in the right spot is what you you guys are saying yeah and and you did it on that drive too Nothing happened to us, but you did it in a position where we could see. Mm-hmm. We got to a point where it's like, okay, we still have 45 minutes. We do have the longest route, but those guys are still down in there. We're going this direction. We can see a lot here. Take that layer off now versus on the backside of the hill. Mm-hmm. And and also, I think the one thing that's really important to, to take that one step further is sometimes you feel like you're moving really fast, but if you're moving really slow you're probably being a little selfish mm-hmm. and you think you're being selfish, but I don't actually think that helps you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like for example, if you're like sneaking, you're like, Oh, I'm going to get my chance here. Mm-mm. Mm. And you're going to miss the deer that maybe got bumped from the complete other side of the drive, 400 yards away. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you're probably actually better off to haul it. Mm-hmm. Just get to that point and wait. Yeah. And cover that escape route. And then as again, you're visualizing your buddies closing in then that's when you start making your next moves. And like on the one yesterday, I had the longest route 
distance wise and probably the most physically demanding because we had to get up and over the target ridge and come in on the side hill. It just made sense for us to like cover more and come in from different directions that way. Could have came in a shorter route, but wouldn't have got as much coverage as far as everybody, you know, collapsing in on the one spot. We would have left a big gap. And had we done it that way, we likely would have not got to that p position in time. But Mitch and I took off from the truck and it was just like, we're hauling it. We got to go all the way up and over. You're going to cover the other side of that ridge mm -hmm. that we're trying to get up and over. And then we got guys coming up from the bottom as well. So as long as we get over there and block that off, we're at the very least going to contain things to go back into the drive or along the way we'll bump deer in there. So I'm not worried about in that moment, we're going right into some great looking bedding cover. There absolutely could have been a buck bedded in that stuff that we were moving into. Mm -hmm. But the only goal that I had with it was either bump it straight into the middle or bump it right to you because you didn't have as far of a route. You could go a little slower mm -hmm. than we could. So if we're plowing, maybe we just bump it right to you and you get a chip shot. Same thing that you and I did, Colin, when Logan shot the buck. We had the longest route. Our odds of getting one on that were pretty low, but our odds of bumping one to him were pretty high, and then it worked. And I just think that like, when you're tiptoeing, unless that's very much your job, you're probably like subconsciously being selfish. Because I, I don't think anybody's doing it on purpose. Mm. But, like, one thing when I watched the footage back from you hunting last year that you do really well is is that. You haul it, dude. You get to a point, and it's like, <laughs> then you wait. Because because then you're covering things for everybody, but you're also bumping things to everybody else, too. And it just that's when it's a full a full team thing. And I think, he, I mean, it's frustrating to some, but it's like uh, I, me often saying, in reply to the question of, am I a driver or am I a stander? My answer is, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where the deer is going to be. Now, granted, there are, there are spots. Because I said that to Colin yesterday. And you I said it to me every day. And I'd be like, I'm not asking because I want to know how you want me to walk. I'm asking because I'm trying to figure out the timing of this. Like, am I supposed to be blowing deer off or am I supposed to be here when everybody else is blowing deer off. So it's like, I'm not changing very much, but it helps me visualize the timing of it all. Mm -hmm. Cause like if I'm going through the bedding area here, then I need to know that. But if I'm the escape route guy, mm -hmm. I need to know that too. And I would ask you and you'd be like, I'm not even gonna answer that question. And I'm like, but I really want you to. I think of it like this. I think I always just think of it like this. Thinking of the feature that we're pushing. Like, am I going through that or am I not? Yeah. And like, on the one that uh, Logan shot the buck on, you guys never went. You guys only went through escape features. The only, actually, the only place that you went through that I would have considered more of a potential bedding feature is exactly where you got yeah. the buck. Yep. But for the most part, you guys just were taking saddles through your route. Where Colin and I were going up to a high point way back down up to another high point way back down up to another high point and we had along the way three different potential bedding areas that we were going to kick into the drive weren't the target by any means but ended up being a bonus thing that we did on the way and i guess if you were to go back and listen to a podcast maybe from the first year we did this i think something that we said we we were never going to do is don't try to do extra 
Well, now we figured out how to do extra. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of a, a crazy thing. And it's a, somewhat of a hard thing to yeah. explain. Yeah, because Sh- I remember Shane doing a lot of that in the first two years. And, like, what he was trying to do was, was great. But, it, like, the problem was that we had, like, four guys behind Shane mm-hmm. peeking over bulls mm-hmm. instead of, like, incorporating that guy get to a saddle while, you know, while a guy pops over to try right. to shoot the deer. Right. That he's probably not going to kill. Right. Maybe get a shot but on. Can. But at least could kick it to that escape route where that first year, I just remember points where we were behind that guy that was doing the peeking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't have any shot stand behind somebody yeah, with your you prime, your prime <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that and there's like there's some videos that i remember where shane does peak and there are deer and there's a line of people and there's no chance at all and it's like well if that was done differently like okay he bumps those deer and all of a sudden they run this way and it's like oh ben was over there mm-hmm. you know yeah just a different different access yeah um, i think access and timing is yeah way better than that's where it comes back to like how unique each one is that one that logan shot on like the way you were able to access a lot of those escape routes were going into the the central drive spot anyways but in a lot of times there's are are a lot of drives too where it's like well we gotta put in a train of guys like you said because it's just going to take too long to try to push all this off and those escape routes aren't necessarily going to be all pushing back into where we want to go so, so how do you take this to bow hunting then? Because this just popped into my mind. Have you heard the term in bow hunting where, like, I think of aggressive bow hunters like Infald or um, uh, Andre DeQuisto. They talk about, like, bed stacking. It's the same thing you could do in a bow hunt. Just take a big, long route around and bed stack that potential spot you're going to. I think there's a, there's a fine line, too, where you don't want to get the whole pot stirred so much that, like, deer are all on edge already, but, like, you could do that on a solo hunt too. I mean, you and I essentially did it on a solo gun hunt mm-hmm. and got the buck. Mm-hmm. We bumped him and then put him into that bedding area, recognized that he wasn't bumped so bad that he was going to leave the whole, you know, general area and ended up sneaking in there and getting him totally relaxed later that evening. Mm-hmm. And I think that you could learn from these things and use them in your own, you know, more personal hunts as well or smaller group hunts as well because it's definitely enough uh you know uh you 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 have an action and then there's like a consequence and even if you quote unquote fail as a solo hunter maybe it's not the end of the world and i feel like that that hunt that you and i had taught me so much about that i tell me to talk about it so much it it almost annoys me but it's like one of the most memorable hunts that i've ever had as far as learning some huge lessons there i mean there's tons of lessons there Mm -hmm. but that's one of the major ones is like, Hey, just because you bump it, it doesn't mean it's over. But again, in this situation, it really doesn't mean it's over because you might have your buddy standing over there totally ready. And I just think that that that's just what makes it so, so fun is there's no risk in failure, which as a solo hunter, bumping a buck feels like failure mm-hmm. where in this it doesn't at all yeah it's like, it's like the point yeah right? it's like oh sick he's yeah, going yeah, right to it's working yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a lot of times you don't know that you even bump the deer but that to that point yeah. you know knowing like you said colin are, am i going towards the target am i going through bedding areas or through escape routes i think that's important to know your role mm-hmm. in that because if it's going through a bedding area don't like skirt around that thicket that you can kind of right. barely see at the top like just go through like the one you shot yesterday, I remember Nick and I, we were 
right before we got to that top, I remember we were like, well, for one, we were trying to not die from falling ash trees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we were like, we need, we really need to get up there out of that stuff. But then let's not hit that top until we can visualize Zach being where you already were, I guess. I just mm -hmm. kind of was thinking you were still moving around. Wish we had time, though. Yeah, we had like 15 minutes at 16 least. 16 when I looked at the clock yeah. before. Yeah. So our, our goal there was to, at 10 minutes before, was just to get up into that top where we thought the, you know most of the betting would be around mm -hmm. so like the timing worked pretty dang good oh it was perfect and, yeah i well, think so go ahead, like, go ahead and us and then john and tate we were all on the same ridge and i think we all had that same timing in mind where we're going through these high points and it you know the timing worked perfect because either either doug or tate bumped that or us mm -hmm. even bumped that whole train of deer right to you Here's something that I'd think about too, even if I was like going to go to the main funnel, because a lot of times what we're doing is we're having guys come in from different angles and generally there's going to be one to three people in what I would consider the main funnel where everything kind of comes together and we believe we can drive deer to that. So even if it does that pinball effect, it's going to this spot at some point, kind of like what you would want to hunt if you were going to you know, bow hunt in a setup all day over one spot as you're looking for that main funnel. And I think that if I'm going to go to that spot, like my role is that to be in that position, I think of it like a lot of times you're going to be going through some amount of terrain to get there. So even though your role there is mostly standard, if I got to go up and over a ridge to get there, it's like, I'm standing there at the base of the at the very bottom and I know I got to go up and over to that you know little hub down there at the bottom but on the other side I'm standing there I'm looking at two fingers that run up to the high point and this one has nothing on it just wide open timber and this one has a bunch of thick and green briar or briar or deadfall which one do I choose even though I'm a stander well I choose this one because I'm driving on the way in everybody's driving on the way in and then once I get to the top it's like well, do I be lazy and go through the saddle that's open, or do I go to that high point that's thick? Well, I go to that high point that's thick, because then I'm just bumping deer in. But I'm doing these in, like, these stages where it's almost like, push, 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 stop. Push, 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 stop. Because when you do that, you never know if the other guy's doing that, too, when he's going to bump one in a kind of a surprise location. Because, again, a lot of these places, I mean, even if we've been in scouting them, it's like, I don't really always remember every ridge or every bed you know and nobody does like nobody does period and all of a sudden one's doing something that we didn't expect but if people are doing that the whole way in just like from all different directions next thing you know it's like bump and everybody's just like right in the right position and i think that yeah it's just a it's just picturing the big scene that's why it's so important to know you know what's going on at all times because if you don't then you know you might just be caught in a, in a position and we used to have that happen all the time have deer just slip right through and i i think something that's important too is muzzle loaders like these aren't these aren't situations where we're driving deer in an open field it's not i mean it's the closest thing we've ever had to that was the hunt that we just talked about when you guys saw the, the deer in the snow going through the yeah. clear cut. Oh, Ben's clear cut shot was about the only open range shot that's ever happened. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Like, I think yeah. it's definitely the, the most open one. So 
something that we've learned is, is if there's a really high probability that deer are going to go through a specific spot, it's worth stacking it because stacking it with hunters in that funnel because a deer can run 40 yards past you and you have no chance at getting them with one shot. Or even if you had three, there's a lot of situations at 60, 70 yards through the timber, it's just flash, 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 gone. And by the time you even realize that it's something you want to shoot or not, you might already be too late, you know. And I just think that's a tricky thing as well. And we used to make that mistake all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, yeah. when we were starting, we were trying to cover, like, these really, really far apart funnels with, like, one guy in each one. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have a lot of those bucks slips by you, where it's like, now we're committing to that one main escape route that we're trying to really cover with standards, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. And then you know, not focusing on the... Well, we also are kind of refining where we think the buck is going to escape to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, like, there's plenty of does that run through a lot of spots. Yeah. It's pretty easy to... Especially with 18 guys, it's pretty easy to see some does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we could, have a, we could have a doe drive down here. No problem. <laughs> do you guys think, though, too... I guess I think when we used to do it, we'd get those guys all spread out and then... We never measured. I think to me that's a big thing that I look at now that I used to never do. Now I'll take a guy and then even if like, you know, we're sitting there the night before kind of planning some of these out. A lot of thing, times what you'll see us do is take the measure tool on Onyx and just say, okay, this, this guy is this far from this guy. Is that, split the difference, is that a muzzleloader shot? If it's more than 70, we got to probably tighten them up. Because in the timber, 70 yards is pretty low odds. And another thing is is visualizing places where my favorite term about this is make the deer make a decision. And Shane said that like year one or two. It's like that's a decision-making point. And a lot of times the deer stop there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big, big deal. Like you want the deer to get to a point and be like, okay, where am I going from here? All the bucks that we shot. Every one of them on this trip were making a decision because they were all stopped. Yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? Like, when you think about that, you're like, yeah. wait, deer drives. Every one of them was stopped and was kind of a, kind of a chip that shot. That were killed, yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Think about Doug's. After he missed, made it to a point, stopped, and was like, which way do I go now? Because now I've been shot out twice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I ran into some other idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's been bumped, what, four times now and just got <laughs> shot at twice. It's and like, he stops yeah. right afterwards because he's like, what do I do now? Because everything I've done up to this point was wrong. Mm-hmm. So I can go this way time. or this way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you guys think of anything differently now than early or after your first trip versus before of the escape that the bucks are taking? I, I think, it, like we kind of reiterated last year, it's like, that first escape, they're trying to do that sort of sneaky side hill move where they're just wrapping terrain. They're staying on the same hill generally. But then when they get bumped twice, it's like, all right, now I'm taking that path of least resistance. Like Roy and I were in that path of least resistance. And that buck had been bumped twice. It was doing a sneaky route to Hayden, and then it cut back into the drive on bump two. Mm-hmm. And then after us, it you know went through a main saddle mm-hmm. into another main saddle. 
And that's where having people covering those main escape routes is important because if the timing is correct and you don't get him on bump one or bump two, then he's probably going through that funnel. And Fast. damn it, you better get him on bump three because like he's coming through that spot and like you better have it covered. And we've done so much better at that. Like I just look back on the, the my favorite one of like ding like dumb. Why did we do that that way? Was the one that went past Tyler. I mean, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago or three years ago now, Jake and Tyler made this really big move and got to what we know now is an obvious escape route. We knew it was a great escape route. We knew we needed somebody there, but we didn't recognized how important that was and we also didn't recognize because we weren't doing as much measuring back then how big scale that funnel was it was just a big valley that went and kind of the finger ridges were on either side of it and the deer could go up in there and like disappear pretty quickly well tyler was just off from being in the perfect spot and i'm almost glad that we didn't get that one because i think that lesson would have been much harder learned down the road had he got it mm-hmm. you know what i mean we'd have been like oh it worked perfect mm-hmm. and we'd have never made that adjustment but i think it could have been the difference between making that adjustment on year three versus making it on or you know we might have been a whole nother season before we were forced to make that right. adjustment like it actually helped that we didn't get that one mm-hmm. and then uh yeah he just really had i mean the deer was in plenty range or plenty close enough maybe like 60 yards at one point yeah but we're talking timber baby it ain't easy you know there's just like next thing you know you pull up on him and it's just like wait there's a lot of places he can be where i can't even see him at all i remember watching a doe doe fawn coming down and i'm trying to decide even what deep like if is this a buck is this a doe and i mean i watched it run through the timber for like 100 yards i still didn't even know what it was let alone get a shot at it it's in range Mm -hmm. you know it's inside of 150 yards can't even see it you know and i think that's kind of a a good reminder of like oh yeah it's just especially when you got one shot you're not guaranteed anything yeah oh me and keith were we were in the bottom where we had the jake lynch mistake last year the not the mistake but you know where i'm talking about we had made a move because we were set up on this point and then Brian came in and he set up right here and we're like right across this drainage from each other. And it's like, Keith said, hey, there's a hole there. We should move down. And I was like, well, this is where I was last year and this is where they came. And he's like, yeah, but those guys can cover that. So we started to move down. And as soon as we do, here comes two does off the top and they go exactly where Keith said we should move. And I was like, all right, I believe you now. And like, <laughs> did it perfect had a shot on both of those like 20 30 yards and then moved a little bit farther and we set up right there and then further into the drive you hear deer coming can't see him and like i can't see him for a long time and i think keith was a little higher than me and he's like oh they're already in the bottom like they're coming and it was they were close before i was able to see him they were like 50 yards and shootable by the time I finally put eyes on them and figured out they were does. And they took the exact same path right up the hill. At that point, we were like 12 yards. But it was cool because it's like, you know they're coming. You know that if they do what the other ones do, they're coming right here. But they're still sneaking. Like, you still can't see them. 
Do you have any, for the new guys, like different opinion on deer drives than maybe you did before? Because that's something that has changed for me. It's like, oh, this will be easy. And then you're like, eh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some of that. Like, it'll be easy and like that that switched up and i think what you guys were talking about was scale definitely like i mean i didn't have a lot of expectations but like i think that first drive like looking at the map and like looking at the scale was like a lot smaller than i expected but again like back to that point it like makes a lot of sense to just like focus in rather than you know have this huge swath of land that you're going to kind of try to cover um yeah, I mean, I think that was huge for me to realize that it wasn't just this big, massive, like... Guys lined up, right? A, I, yeah, raking through the forest. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that I used to always think, is like, we're just going to rake this. Mm-hmm. Meaning, these guys are staying together no matter what. They're a certain distance apart, just trudging through the woods. It's like, it's not... I don't really think of it like that at all anymore. No. It's like, very different than that. Yeah. I certainly didn't realize, like, how methodical the planning is for like every drive like how every role is honestly like just as important as the next role mm-hmm. and that, that's definitely something that stood out to me I'm not, I'm not sure i had like an opinion on deer drives before just didn't have any experience didn't really know anything about it but yeah that was definitely something that i think is cool and and would would like to just learn more about get more experience doing and just like understanding the whole process or or just like thinking in the state of mind of like looking at a map just being like how would i drive this like like that something i would like to get better at Mm -hmm. i think when you think of it too in that way like we mentioned earlier it definitely helps you as a solo hunter because then you're like oh yeah this is where deer is going to move through i know that's helped me it's helped Mm -hmm. me become a better deer hunter turkey hunter and elk hunter is thinking of the way that animals are going to move through the terrain. Yeah. I mean, I reference these hunts all the time, even if I was in the plains hunting mule deer. No joke, I'm thinking, you know, where's this deer going to leave? Because, because for example, if you're in the wide open, you don't have much cover, and you're hunting, trying to bow hunt a deer, like, you got to, at some point, get to a certain distance away from them and then hope that they're going to make a move. Well, how do you visualize that move? Well... A lot of times I'm referencing, what did he do in this terrain feature when we bumped him on that deer drive? Mm-hmm. A lot of times it matches exactly like that, yeah. you know, exactly that. A lot of side hilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One yeah, thing I- that Roy just said, you know, every position is equally as important. One thing on top of that is you don't know. Everybody will make the comment like, oh, you're in the hot seat. Like you're in the spot and it's like, we don't know where the spot's at. You're just like, everybody like wants it to come through the saddle and that's where the shot's going to be. Probably not. Like, yeah, maybe like, maybe like 40% of the time. (laughs) I mean, really. You you rarely ever know, like this is, you never know. This is where the shot's going to happen. This is who's going to see a buck. It's like, we think maybe, but probably not. Much of it, too, just depends on where he is that given day. Mm-hmm. You know, some yeah. days he is in that target. Some days he's not. Yeah. I was going to say something about that. Like some, a lot of the drives are places we've scouted where it's like, well, we know there's bucks that live in here in late season, but it's like he could be here, here, or here on these secondaries. So the way that you access, you have to 
push it in a way to where it's like, yeah, this is the target one, but like these are almost just as likely, but you have to pick the highest percentage one and then access in a way to where you could bump all those. I think a good way to say how we've changed from year one to year five planning is like we were starting off planning. We're driving this bedding, this bed, this bed. Whereas now we're more like we're driving this, we're driving, we're picking the escape route before we pick where the beds are even mm-hmm. we're like, where's, where can we put them through and really load guys in there? So we're like working backwards from the escape route to all the beds, to all the beds, all the beds, because he might not be on that one. Three buck bowl is a good example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It hasn't worked the way it worked the first year in the past four. And then the past two, two. Okay. Cause the first year or er, when Hayden got the buck in there, that kind of worked like, perfect yeah it it worked kind of like it was drawn up and then that's why i say like 40 percent of the time or maybe less maybe it's more like maybe it's the only 18 percent of the time he goes right through the main funnel but at the same time i feel that it's always worth putting guys there Mm -hmm. in those main escapes and there is a hot seat if they do it exactly like the plan goes and if it goes exactly like the plan is, they will do that. But the plan doesn't work out most times. I don't want to say it doesn't work out. It's just it doesn't go exactly like what we're thinking necessarily. That pinball drive was one where it kind of clicked on me. We did that same one last year. And uh, so then w- this year, John and I were like, well, we're going to go up and we're going to push it the same way that John or Jake Lynch ended up bumping that buck. And we did that same route, but he just wasn't there that day. But there's a ton of buck sign up there. And there was, like, green rubs, beds all over the place. And uh, so we knew there was a buck around, but it's just like he wasn't there that day. He was over where you guys were. And then he ended up coming over to that spot because he probably was bedded there. He probably just hops around all those high points. Probably worth bow hunting around one of those high points. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever think about, about too, um, when you're listening to other Big Woods hunters, you'll hear a lot of, it's really random it's like well they'll be anywhere and i couldn't agree with that more except for the fact that there are features where they will be Mm -hmm. period like you can look at a map and be like okay there's potential that there's gonna be deer there and i almost guarantee if you get to the point where you're like covering enough ground and you're seeing this over and over again you can guess those places like if you think there's a chance that deer are gonna bet on that feature, they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, trust your gut, they are. It's like okay, I've seen them on a high point like that, especially if that high point's got some thick on it, like the spot you had just referenced. It's really dense in there. It's a really really high spot. There's nothing else around that's like at that exact elevation. It's the highest point. Deer will bet there. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't maybe there that day to start, but he went there. And I think that's a good way to have a good perspective on that is yeah maybe you know tomorrow he's half mile over there but that's just the next best place and if you can collapse in on that or if you're solo hunting like you said ben if you go bow hunt there my expectation for that would be like go in there for a a bow hunt for example and you're you're in there set up tight to thick cover you can't see much it's like by 11 if i haven't heard a deer walk in the woods he probably ain't there that day, mm. but by 11, if I've seen a little buck and a doe and a fawn, I'm like, hey, he might be in here. 
just giving you that feel that it's like deer are using this today. Mm-hmm. The conditions are right for them to be here today. doesn't necessarily mean that a big buck's going to for sure be in there, but my confidence goes up when that's the case. Mm-hmm. For example, the hunt that we had together where we were gun hunting without a group, just you and I, mm-hmm. there was other deer on that ridge that made us feel confident. Like we'd bumped a couple does moving into the spot where we mm-hmm. thought he might be. And it's like, at that point, you could lose your confidence because you're like, oh, I've messed it up. But on the other hand, Ben and I were like, I remember we'd bumped a couple of those and like turn into Ben and being like, we're going to get him. Like he's here. He has to be here because why else would there be, you know, this is a low deer density area. Why else would there be, you know, a couple of does here? They are betting here today. Mm-hmm. They're in here today. So that means he probably is too. And even if he's not, at least your confidence is high or even if he's even if you don't see him doesn't mean he's not there either mm. but i just think that you know that's a good gauge of if he's there or not as other deer especially when you get into i feel like later in the season generally yeah like we're often bumping you know two group two doe groups and the big buck comes out and he's yep. not necessarily bedded right beside them, but he's on the same ridge system. Yep. Like you said, today the deer bedded there mm-hmm. and like they're, they're all feeding in the same areas. So they're probably all ended up bedding nearby. He still wants to breed does, but he's keeping a, you know, he's keeping still running, tab. Mm-hmm. Still keeping a tab. bedding near him. Yeah. And maybe he's not bedded, like you said, right with him, but he's 150 yards down or up or whatever from the, the big bulk of deer. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, good examples of that are, a lot of times when we bump a buck, he's with deer to start at least. And then he generally starts doing his own thing quickly. But the initial run out of the bedding area, a lot of times is like, I'm confused. I'm with a bunch of other deer. I don't even know why we're running. Like the one that we got yesterday, mm-hmm. he was with a bunch of other deer. And I feel like he was still in that confusion phase. I think that on the other hand, the buck that you missed that you ended up bumping again past Doug. That was a buck that was past the confusion stage. He's in the, I got a GTFO, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) That one Logan shot was definitely like, they didn't, they didn't even look at us at all when they were coming. The the spike did when he came up, he looked at us, but that one, the one that you shot was behind him and you could tell the spike saw us, saw something and, turned a little bit and crossed that road, but that other one came across and was, you could see him kind of just looking around like, where which, are we going? Yeah. We're we going here. We drop it. Yeah. I might make a decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. I think that that's a cool thing to witness over and over again. Like there's one that comes to mind from Iowa where I missed a buck with Ted and Jake was our, it was just a, essentially a two man deer drive and Jake got the whole herd moving and a bunch of does piled out, and there was a buck in the middle of him, and you could tell that he was just like, I don't even really know what we're doing, but I got to go. I know I got to go. And then he stopped and gave me a shot, and I just misjudged the yardage and shot over him, But or at least that's what I believe happened. But the the point of that is is that's an example where that deer's still in that confusion phase, where like maybe you bump two or three does, and they are like, okay, we're running. And he's like, okay, I guess we are, but I don't know why. I don't even know what we're doing. And he's still trying to make decisions. And a lot of times that's how we get them to stop, you know, because again, all the, all the bucks that we got this year, were all stopped. And I think that that's pretty cool. And a lot of times, 
even if they're not part of that train, they'll follow deer. So you mentioned something earlier that I think is really important too, and I would I would say is a, a good adjustment to be making mid-drive. It's like if it's real early, like maybe even up to 10 minutes or earlier before the official time of, of the start, if a couple of does go through or non-target deer something goes through a spot and he's at, and they're out of range, I'd be moving over there in the next 10 minutes, like to get either right on it or close enough to where you've got a shot and shot back over here where maybe you originally thought deer would be. Yeah. If something moves through and I think everybody does it, everybody's going to pull up on a doe and track her. Mm -hmm. Right. So moves through and you realize like, Oh, I couldn't have shot. I always think about that. Could I have shot that deer or shot at that deer? And if you couldn't, you should make an adjustment to where you should have been able to get a shot because they're going to, they're following the same paths, man. They see it. They see it the same, whereas we might not. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Oh, those deer did this. Well, the next one's definitely not going to do that. Like that's not likely. Another thing that I think is, is interesting is you might not see it, but then when the driver walks through following the deer, mm -hmm. you always see it as the driver. It's like, oh yeah, that's, I mean, this is the path of least resistance. Even if that path of least resistance is just a 30 yard stretch. Remember when, uh, the pinball drive happened and Ben and, and dad shot those or throughout that drive we were walking it's like yep that's where they all went yeah. and, and everybody has that report so i think also being able to adjust in the future um when doing drives that we've done in the past it's been helpful for drivers to say hey when i drove this last year there was a massive trail here that went right through this spot you might as well you know Mm -hmm. straddle that trail if you want that chip shot you know what i mean or darn near it or get grab cover to where they're going to come right past you and keep funneling through mm. you know i also think you know wind direction is a, a silly thing that doesn't really feel that important but like if i'm standing there as a stander and i realize my wind's doing exactly the wrong thing there's two things i'm learning from that or, or adjusting from that i'm either going to get into a position where my wind is good for that trail even if it's in a even if it's a five-minute post-up staging spot, I'm either going to adjust to it or if I think they can get close enough to me, I'm going to know that's where I got to shoot them before. Because, one, I mean, we've all seen it before. Deer's running down through there and all of a sudden they hit that wind and they're just like, hmm. so if you're not conscious of that on like your little micro scale within your individual hunt, I suppose, then you could miss little opportunities too. Um, and you know, like yesterday, for example, we knew that wind wasn't blowing to that spot that they were coming through at, and you know, you're good, but like, you also want to have enough cover to where they're not going to see you and just like stop, look at you and be like, which happens a lot as well. Mm -hmm. so I just think there's always that balance of like cover, you know, I'm bumping deer, but I don't want to bump deer. But if I bump him, I want to go into the drive, but I don't want to get winded before I get a shot. You know, all those little things that become your responsibility within the moment and that's also just what makes this fun it's like obviously there's the team aspect but it's like little mini hunts yeah, yeah like that gum you want to perform well too because also you know if your safety's on and you click on the deer then everybody's going to be like dang dude think about what could have been yeah <laughs> hayden 
You know what? <laughs> you know one thing that's like, you just said it is deer's running, and all of a sudden you get that, and it's an immediate change in direction. That shot goes gets so much harder. Like a running shot where a deer's just like cruising, maybe right at you or like left left to right. Like you can you can track that. You can probably get that shot. Mm-hmm. But the moment that deer hits the brakes and darts 90 degrees to the left, that's just chaos. And like you're not the likelihood of you getting that shot now that that deer has noticed you is down significantly because it's also not going to stop after that right oh yeah 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 no no no, no it's running a lot <laughs> now but it's running way harder the last thing you're talking about there i was just thinking about the the same pinball drive we've been referring to john and i were popping up on that ridge just like the aspect of having little mini hunts to yourself where you still have to make these little decisions where it's like you know where you have to be and the timing and everything, but you got to make these tiny little decisions within each like minute that's going by. And like when we were popping up on that ridge, I remember saying to John, I was like, it's weird. Cause like I want to bump deer here on this side of the hill, but it's 1105 and we have five minutes to be down here, but I don't want to crest this because I know Doug still has to get down to here. So we, we stopped like right before that edge. And as we were standing there looking at a couple beds, we heard that deer bump from like right below us as the wind crested over that top and the thing ran and as soon as that happened we crested and went down and the shot was 30 seconds after that but just those little like tiny decisions you have to make to adjust for your timing because you know as soon as you crest something you're going to bust it and just getting all that timing down here's here's one of those little things too that i know i do differently and is actually really fun okay you get to you're flying you're moving you're you're going real fast up the ridge and then boom you hit that staging spot you get there and you're like you're like okay where am i going to set up all right, right there got good cover wind's kind of going this way good trails here probably a trail there okay if they get to there they're going to win me here i'm gonna have to shoot them before there shoot them there that's my best cover but there's that big dead branch there you just walk up there sit there break that branch off and now stop I mean, all those things go through your head that fast. Mm-hmm. And, like, when you're bow hunting, you do that, but you do it in, like, 15 minutes. Yeah. You know what Small I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's like Tai Chi versus, uh, yeah, Josh Soholt said that that to me one time. It's like, it's Tai Chi versus uh, yoga. <laughs> chai tea. Tai Chi is the one. Good job. That, yeah, that. Versus, um, Karate. 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 Yeah. Karate. Yeah. So I think that uh, that that's just fun too because like you might you might have all those thoughts and then in two minutes and thirty seven seconds you're on to the next. Like that's what's so <laughs> hilarious about it. But those those things make a difference because let's say you get up there and you're just like ah probably nothing's gonna happen. I'm gonna be moving anyway. But you don't break that branch off. Then you go to turn your gun and you're just like oh I can't shoot right there because I've just got this branch blocking me off. Then you gotta maneuver your gun around it and then boom he's gone mm-hmm. like those little things matter where especially because like there's potential that the deer that you're about to shoot in the next five minutes is right as of right now when you're making all that noise this is freaking 300 yards away from you mm-hmm. and just like that they're here and it wouldn't matter how much noise you could get to have the chainsaw out you know before they're coming and they wouldn't even know that there's a good chance there. that deer's already at a dead sprint right 
And he's not hearing nothing. Something that I think is really cool that you did that I haven't actually seen that many guys do, Logan, is when those deer are coming in, once you get the visual on them, you just start walking to them, and they're not even that far. But because they're running, like you said, Colin, they're already like they're already disoriented, yes. and you just push to where you're like, okay, I'm in a position where I've got a shot now, and boom. Yeah. And like that was beautifully yeah. executed. Part so. of that was necessity because I was actually behind <laughs> in relation to them. So part of it was necessity. But sure. yeah, I mean, you're right. It's like in that moment, like they were just like so confused and they really hadn't got to that point where like we could even tell w- what they were, mm-hmm. where they were more or less. We heard it. Yeah. I saw some flashing and just, yeah, stepped. I just up. remember seeing like I could just see the white on the mm-hmm. their tails when they dropped down mm-hmm. and I the nose was going like this and I saw him just angling like up and it was like, we have to go this way no matter what. Well, we're yeah. not going to get a shot it, like super quickly. They're not, they're going straight through here. And once they're past here, even if we run up to here, we're not going to see them. Yep. So we just had to cut that distance. And if I no would have bumped them, it would have been right to the mm-hmm. drive. So it didn't really matter. And I did think that in the moment I was just like, well, this is bad. I'm bad in a bad spot here. I've got half my stuff on. I'm going to leave my binoculars right here on the ground. Uh, but I'm going to step up. And at least, at the very least, what's going to happen is I might, might send them down into the drive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, and I just think that that's, again, the part that you can't get too hung up on my opportunity. You have to be thinking our opportunity. Mm-hmm. Because if my opportunity is is compromised as i make that move to him it may open up a window like okay i'm forfeiting my 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 chance here but i'm gonna blast over here to make sure i can bump him back over we tried it the one day um on that first day mm-hmm. on the last deer that we saw we tried it where it's just like i'm not gonna get a shot here yeah. so i Run tried to get <laughs> block him off and still squirt it through but i made that decision of like okay I, it's it's do it or don't do it and if you hesitate you didn't do it mm-hmm. is what i believe so it's just like again another excuse to just be ultra aggressive which i mean i love that if y'all haven't ever noticed we me and ted did that on brian's buck is like come up over the top and immediately we crest the top i turkey call and i see what i'm presuming to be that deer take off and instead of being like, oh, let's try and get a shot, I'm like, let's go. And we sprinted across that ridge top because I'm like, if that thing tries to come back up here as deer side hill and just will mm-hmm. exit on the same ridge that they're on, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know who's over there. Mm-hmm. So we just ran, basically made a bunch of noise and got there. And then like we're sitting there and across the bottom, we hear a shot. So it's like, don't know if it did anything, but it didn't do nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. So, one other thing that I think is a benefit of the going fast and stopping is how many times have you guys been hunting or walking through the woods in general, even doing something unrelated to hunting or small game hunting or something, and all of a sudden, while you're stopped, that's when the deer go. Mm-hmm. I think that prevents a lot of holding tight where it's like if you're constantly sneaking and you're never really stopping then it never allows them to have that moment of uncomfort that maybe makes them pull the trigger to run yeah they're like why why would they stop 
Yeah. Something yeah. bad. They see me. Yeah. I'm running. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which deer I, definitely do that. I, my grandpa had this old buddy like in Missouri when I was a really little kid. And after my grandpa died, like we went out and met this guy and whatever. He was a big de- deer hunter, but he was 90. So, you know, he'd be, the guy'd be over 100 years old now. And he used to tell me stories about when he goes deer hunting, he puts his rifle on his back. And he said, I would just whistle a tune on my way into the deer stand. I'm like, not going to do that. But he's like, deer don't care. Turkeys don't care because you're not a threat to them. Mm -hmm. Because you're just walking into the woods. Like, you're not sneaking, trying to shoot them all the time. Like, you're just there. Yeah. There's something to that. Whereas, like, if you're looking around and a deer sees you and they don't think you see them. And then all of a sudden you look at them and you're like, now you're a threat. Right. Whereas if you just like look at them and then keep going, they might just pretend like that never happened. Yep. I agree. Or mm-hmm. wait, 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 wait. You're past them. Now they sneak out the back door. Mm-hmm. And I think there's times that that happens, especially if the drivers never stop. Like, I think it's really important for drivers, even if they've got a 20 yard little spot, they can see when they see that stop and just listen because there's two parts to that. One the other driver might be bumping one close to you and you need to either prepare for a shot or prepare to, you know, get into a position where you spook it again. But also it might just be what triggers that flight response from the deer versus I'm going to hold tight. They're consistent. Like I think of it like a hiking trail. If you're walking down a hiking trail, whether you're hunting or not, and you know, an experienced buck looks up and kind of is caught off guard by you, and looks up there, it's like, why? Okay, if this guy's just consistently walking, looking in one direction, not slowing down at all, what makes him feel like he needs to run? Probably nothing. Especially if he's got really dense cover around him, like real brushy, high stem count stuff. And he's watching. And that guy never changes pace and is now out of sight. Now it's like, okay, wait. Now I reevaluate. Maybe I get up and move. Maybe I stay right here because it worked. But on the other hand, if that guy, hiker is walking, again, whether they're hunting or not, and they stop on the skyline right there, now it's like, ooh, does he see me? That's how I would feel yeah. if I was hiding. If all of a sudden somebody was just like, what? I'd be like, okay, I need to run. Think yeah. about it when you're driving your car and yep. there's deer in the field. Those deer don't go, they don't do anything until you stop mm-hmm. and you're looking at them. If you don't stop to look at them, they're not leaving that field. Yeah. So I just think that's an important part of like everybody's role is like at a certain point you want, I mean, again, everybody wants to bump deer if they're doing it in a way that pumps them to the, to the party, you know. Well, well, maybe you're getting a little long winded here. Does anybody have any final thoughts? Can't wait to do it again. Yeah. I really want to just draw them up in right the off now. season. Yeah. <laughs> Something I've we're half a decade in. Yeah, that's crazy, man. <laughs> I mean, it is weird. Like, you start doing something like this, and, you know, you look back on our first year, and, I mean, what? I would have been, like, 25 years old, I guess. You would have been six or seven or something. How <laughs> 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 old, old, I guess, what? 19, you're, probably. Then. 19. If you were 25. Holy cow, dude. Keith, are you even 21? <laughs> That was something that was said this this September was Colin said, Keith, are you even twenty one? 
the best part was Grant got defensive for Keith. He's like, yeah, he's 21. <laughs> it was pretty hilarious. But, you know, as time goes on, you know, you know, obviously the years rack up, but you look at the experience and there's always, I feel like this happens to me in life in general. It's like on year one of something, you're like, we're never, like it's going to be forever before we're there. And I feel like last year it kind of felt like maybe we were getting there. And now it does continue to feel like we're getting there with this. But on those first couple of years, I mean, I remember being like low on the way home from year two and we didn't, hadn't got one because it's like, dang it, man, like all this time and effort and thought. And now we got to wait a whole nother year to make these adjustments. And then when we did and we knocked some down, it's like, okay, we're getting there. Mm-hmm. And then last year felt really good. And this year felt really good too. It's just a little skewed because the weather was so unbelievably bad that we didn't yeah. get as much done. We, we did nine drives in other years. We've done like 15 or more, which is a huge deal. Good ratio, though. It is. No, we were extremely successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really happy. I'm really proud of everybody. Everybody did a great job. I think everybody learned more this year. Everybody played as a team. And that's what makes this fun. It's not about the size of the buck or, you know, amount of deer anybody sees. It's about everybody working together and having fun. And at the end of the day, you know, coming back together and making a plan and readjusting and, you know, also at the end of the year, doing the same thing. And yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll always, I I have a hard time believing that there would ever be something that, you know, as far as team hunting goes, it could be ever as cool in my life as this. Like this has been the most fun five years of doing little four day trips that, I mean, even if we never did it again for some reason, I'm very happy that it happened. But it'll, I think, continue on for oh, years yeah. to come, you know. Yeah. Can't right. wait to do it again. And, I mean, really, with people watching and listening, it helps keep it going. So, like, And I also encourage people to like, you know, start traditions like that. Even if it's just on a bow hunting trip with friends where you're not doing drives. Like, create these little traditions because it does you know, help you get through you know, tougher times in life. If you're sitting there and you're like moping about something, which happens to all of us at some point or another, and you have that in the back of your mind, you know what, man, it sure is going to be fun when I get to go muzzleloader hunt with all my buddies. Like keeps me going. (laughs) It's the deer camp mentality. Kind of making me feel emotional right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'll probably start crying on the way home at some point. (laughs) Probably won't because I'll be with my brother, but when I'm alone, (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, I always get a little teary, you know, thinking about it. Like, man, sad that's, music. What's that? Start playing some sad music. No, no, I like. <laughs> I kind of. It always happens when I play happy music because oh. it's just like you just start thinking about how good it was. Yeah. How good, it really can be. And with that, <laughs> thanks for watching. See you on the next one. <laughs>